difficult tasks can be overwhelming when you have to do them all by yourself, when you're maybe tasked with something that seems so difficult that it seems it's uh, too much for you to handle by yourself. It can be overwhelming. Something that's so big and difficult feels like it's too much to handle. Maybe you've had something like, like that happen to you. Maybe you've been assigned some sort of a task at work or you're facing like a personal challenge that just sort of seems insurmountable. There's something about facing a task alone by yourself that can be really demoralizing. But when others step in to help, things that seemed impossible can seem possible. So we can just think about this in sort of like a silly thought example. Imagine that you were given the task of creating 300 pizzas by yourself. That would take you forever if you were trying to make 300 pizzas. And so if you were like me, you might just sort of look at the ingredients and sit in front of the oven and just sigh and just not even start. So upset that you don't even get into it. Now, imagine that six people show up into the kitchen to help you out. And they're putting on aprons, they're washing their hands, they're getting ready to roll. And so you say, okay, maybe you guys can like start in the dough. Maybe you can start working on the sauce. Maybe you can shred some cheese for me. So something that seemed impossible when you're by yourself suddenly seems like a fulfilling task. It's challenging, but it seems like it's possible when the whole team shows up. Now, imagine that your task was to tell everyone on earth about Jesus by yourself. That would literally be impossible. But what if you gathered together with other Christians who are making disciples, who have been given gifts by God, the Holy Spirit, in order to make that task possible? Administrating, leading, teaching, equipping, encouraging, praying, sending, going, all these things. What if all these people have been given these gifts in order to complete that task? Well, then something that had seemed impossible by yourself suddenly becomes a fulfilling challenge when the whole team shows up. And that's what a a local church is really meant to do, to make disciples and to spread the gospel as a team. Now, the truth is, no single church in and of herself would be able to tackle that task on her own either. It's too much for one individual. It's too much for one individual church. But what if you gathered with other local churches to partner in that? Uh, What if there was partnership not within churches alone, but actually across churches as well? We are dependent upon each other as Christians individually, but even beyond that, we are dependent upon each other as, as churches. We rely on others to do what we have been called to do together. So at Trinity Bible Church, uh, our labor, our efforts and discipleship, uh, uh, discipleship and evangelism and missions, it's ultimately, in the final analysis, it's not about us. Uh, Trinity is not trying to sort of spread our brand across the valley. We are announcing and embodying Christ's kingdom. That's, that's the goal. That's what we're about. And we are not in this alone. There's a lot of other churches that are doing this same thing here in the valley across the world. Trinity is an independent church, but we're not self-reliant. We are honored and encouraged to be in friendly cooperation with like-minded churches here in the valley and really even around the world in order to tackle that overwhelming task of upholding and broadcasting the gospel to the ends of the earth. What we see in today's passage of Romans 15 is this, local churches 
should partner for missions through material support, prayer, and encouragement. Local churches should partner for missions through material support, prayer, and encouragement. We'll break this down into three chunks. First, local churches help missions through material support, 22 to 24. And then second, local churches help each other. See that in verses 25 to 29. And then third, local churches support missions through prayer and encouragement. And that final section of 30 to 33. Before we dive in, let us pray together. Father, would you help us this morning to be uh, encouraged and challenged by the task that you have put before us to be fruitful and to multiply, to subdue the earth, to take your gospel into the nations, to make disciples of all nations. Father, help us to remember that you are with us, even to the end, in and through your Holy Spirit, uh, and help us to, be, to rise to the challenge as we lean on each other to fulfill the task faithfully, as much as we're able, that task that you have called us to. Father, we love you. Help us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, local churches help missions through material support. Material support. Verses 22 to 24. I'll read that for us again. This is the reason why I have been so often hindered from coming to you. But now, since I have no longer any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come for you, to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul, as we saw last week in this passage just before this, has been very busy spreading the gospel up and down the eastern Mediterranean region. So he hasn't had a chance to come to Rome yet. He's been really occupied preaching the gospel in places where Christ had not yet been named. He really wanted to visit, he just didn't have the chance. Now he has fulfilled the ministry of Christ all the way from Jerusalem up to Illyricum. And so he has planted these churches all along this uh, eastern Mediterranean seaboard and he has handed them over to elders who are watching over these churches and so now his plan is to take that gospel somewhere else. He is turning his attention to new lands, to seek out new life and civilizations, to boldly take the gospel where it has never gone before. And the place that he wants to go next is Spain. And you can see Spain on the map there. And on his way to Spain, he hopes to stop by Rome. And Paul is writing this letter from Corinth. This geographical information is helpful for me. Hopefully it is helpful for you. The main thing to notice here in these verses, 22 to 24, is this. Paul hopes to be helped on his journey to Spain by these Christians in Rome. A lot is packed into that, that word, helped. A lot is packed into this. He hopes to be assisted for the purpose of his journey. And Paul is going to need more than simply a pat on the back. It's a 700-mile uh, journey from Rome to Spain. 
Spain at this time was a part of the Roman Empire, so there would have been pathways to get there. It would have been uh, unheard of to travel from Rome to Spain. But it would still be dangerous. It would still be risky. It would still be difficult. And it would take a lot of preparation and a lot of support to make that trip happen. So Paul would probably need food. Paul would need uh, money. Paul would need maybe transportation arrangements maybe even some other mature believers to partner with him to go from Rome into Spain to help support and plant those churches there. Or maybe there were people in Rome who had connections in Spain, and maybe they could send letters in advance of Paul's arrival, drumming up support and letting him know, hey, this, this missionary is going to come with the gospel, receive him well, give him a place to stay. All of these things would be necessary if Paul was going to make this trip successful. As a pioneering missionary, Paul was going to need support from his brothers and sisters. He had physical needs, logistical needs, financial needs, material needs. And he trusted God to meet those needs. And he figured that God would use his people to meet those needs. And so he's giving these Roman Christians a heads up. When I come through, I'm going to be asking for material support for this missions effort when I get there. I'll be stopping through for a little bit, but this is not my final destination. Sacrificial giving is necessary for the expansion and preservation of Christ's church. TBC has existed since 1968, and the only reason that we're here this morning is because of the radical generosity of those saints who gave so sacrificially, those who have come before us, people who gave sacrificially to purchase this land, which was on the outskirts of town at the time, people who gave so much to purchase and build that education center, and then to build this worship center. We are blessed of God to have these facilities. They really are amazing, and I, sometimes I, I take them for granted but we have them because folks before us sacrificed radically in order to make this happen, to make this a reality. And they did so because they desired to see a missionary outpost of the gospel here on this corner of 35th and Peoria. Let's not take that for granted. Trinity was planted as a church by Bethany Bible Church back in the day. Uh, so we would not be here without Bethany Bible Church taking an interest in this effort. For them, going above and beyond, having a heart for sending out material support to establish and support new healthy churches. So their pastor at Bethany Bible Church uh, back in the day asked one of their Sunday school classes to pray and consider what, what might be the Lord doing in this class and this group of people. Would you be willing to consider helping to support a new church plant? And this church started in 1968. Uh, here they are preparing to break ground on the first buildings. If you have a keen eye, you'll recognize the fellow in the bow tie. He was up here moments ago leading us in pastoral prayer. <laughs> the building that is the education center now over there is, is, was the worship center for a long time. And then in 1981, they announced that they were going to make this $1.6 million plan to build this worship center. And so 243 families pledged $1,074,000. 
Uh, and some of those families even shelved their vacation plans for two to three years just to build up enough to pledge to that campaign. And so they broke ground on this building in 1982. You can see there the, the first pastor, Joel, breaking ground here in this area. And they held their first service here in June of 1983. We are here because they gave. And it really is impossible to, to calculate the spiritual good that has been done in and through the ministry of Trinity Bible Church here locally and even around the world in the last 55 years. I don't suppose anybody from that picture is still here. Anybody? Maybe Peggy? Peggy's, I got one hand. Maybe Kurt Thompson. <laughs> Grateful for you guys. Honor where it's due. We appreciate you guys and your faithful faithfulness to support this church, both spiritually and materially. So this, this concept of supporting financially the efforts of the church is what we engage in every year at the end of the year in our harvest offering. We take it up each fall. We recognize that we have been given material resources in order to put them into effect for the sake of the extension of the gospel. I don't know if we fully recognize this, but we are really blessed here by sacrificial givers. We have some amazing sacrificial servants in this body. That is not an understatement. And we know that all of that blessing does not end with us. It's not primarily and finally, ultimately for us here. It's given to us so that we can turn around and look outward prayerfully to consider where that might be needed. You can visit tbcphoenix.org missions to read more about the different missions efforts that we're engaged in here it's worth noting that Paul did not invite everyone with him to Spain. He didn't say, I'm going to come to Rome and then everybody's going to get on a bus and we're all going to go to Spain. He recognizes that he has a unique calling as a pioneering apostolic missionary to go to Spain. But he was still dependent on others. He couldn't do that alone. He needed others to partner with him. That trip would not be able to happen without the material support of those Christians in Rome. So even if you were not called to go into the mission field, uh, you can still have an important and necessary uh, part to play in missions efforts. So you should know that 10% of our annual budget flows to missions efforts, uh, and usually a little more than that with our harvest offering, Lord willing, Next year, we'll send out around $100,000 towards missions efforts here and across the world. And there are names of folks across the world who will be enabled to do ministry that they have been called and equipped to do because of your radical generosity here at Trinity. Local churches help missions through material support, through starting and maintaining missions efforts, but they also help each other. Second, notice this in verses 25 through 29, local churches help each other. Verse 25, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, 
I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So here's, here's Paul's travel plans, as it were. He's going to travel from Corinth back to Jerusalem, and then he's planning to bring that church in Jerusalem, the financial gift that he got from the churches in Macedonia there, Achaia. And so once he's done that, he's going to head to Spain, stopping by Rome on the way there. Catching it from Jerusalem, so Corinth to Jerusalem, back up to Rome, ultimately, Lord willing, intending to go to Spain. And what we really have to pay attention to in this particular passage is the contribution mentioned in verse 26. So there are churches in one area that have heard about financial need of another church in another area. And so they have collected a voluntary free will offering to help out that church in that other area. That, that contribution, the word under, underneath that, behind that, really is, is partnership. They're, they're, it's a fellowship that they're entering into with this, this church in Jerusalem. It is a sharing of the burdens between the church in Macedonia and Achaia and the church in Jerusalem. Most of these people have never met each other. Most of them never will meet each other. And yet they've heard this burden and want to do something about it. Verse 27 might not make sense at first, especially if you're just sort of reading this out of context. But when you read verse 27 in light of the entirety of the book of Romans, it does make sense. Because one of the main issues that has recurred uh, throughout the book of Romans is this theme of the relationship between Israel and the other nations, the Gentiles. Israel was God's chosen nation, but it was always his plan to include the nations into that one united people, which we understand now to be the church. And so Israel's been God's people for a long time, and Jesus was born from their ethnic line. He is the fulfillment of promises made to Israel. I think we can rightly say that Christianity is the fulfillment of the promises that were made to Israel. But now all these other nations are joining in to God's people. And so as you might imagine, that potentially becomes awkward. Some of the Gentile nations, some of these Christians were thinking, well, we're going to replace Israel. They're not God's people anymore. And some of the Jews within Israel were saying, you guys aren't actually welcomed in God's people. You need to do these things in order to belong. Both were wrong. Uh, we've heard a lot about that from chapters 11 through 15. So that's why Paul had to remind the Gentile nations to be humble, to be humble, to recognize that they are supported by the promises that were made to Israel. Earlier in this chapter, Paul reiterated that exact same point. Chapter 15, verses 8 through 9 says this, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, which is to say Israel, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, those who came before Israel, and in order that the Gentiles, which is the nations, might glorify God for his mercy. And so Paul is very much aware of this tension between these uh, Jewish believers and these Gentile believers. And so while he's in some of these Gentile nations, Macedonia and Achaia, he teaches about the unity of God's people. It's like we are one people, and I'm sure he lets them know about the needs. It's like one practical, tangible way that you guys could be of great assistance to the church in Jerusalem, which is part of your spiritual family, would be to take up an offering as a gesture of goodwill and support and fellowship and partnership with them there. And they have been f happy to do that. 
says they're well pleased to help them out financially. They're pleased to do it. But verse 27 says that they owed it to them. They owed it to them. So it's not because they had like a financial debt to them, but the nations have shared in the spiritual blessings of God, and now they get to return that favor through material blessings. So the salvation that the Gentiles now are enjoying, being a part of God's family, comes through the fulfillment of God's promises through that Jewish Messiah. So not not a legitimate financial debt that they owe, but it is a good fitting way to express their gratitude and their thankfulness and partnership with the church, which is mostly Jewish, in Jerusalem. It is a symbol of shared unity and partnership that the gospel stretches across ethnicities and across nations. So this trip that Paul is planning to take back to Jerusalem might at first seem like a diversion to his goal. He said that he wanted to go where Christ had not yet been named. Christ has been named in Jerusalem. Why are you going there first, Paul? Why not just send that gift with someone else? It's important to note that Paul sees great value in building an association of churches who recognize that they are related to one another as God's people. This is not a secondary sort of task that Paul is engaged here. This ministry of mercy that Paul is engaged here is really important for tying together Christians as churches across ethnicities. And promoting healthy relationships between local churches is a very important task related to the health of the church at large. I mentioned last week that we are a part of the Grove Church Planting Network Uh, which has only started in the last few years, largely through Pastor Josh's leadership and vision. Uh, Some pastors got together this last Monday to gather together at Witten Avenue Bible Church uh, to pray for each other, to encourage each other. And the churches that are represented here have agreed to partner together for the sake of church planting, wanting to see more healthy churches planted here in Arizona. And so we're still thinking through and praying through who that planter might be, where that church plant might be. But I just wanted to pass this along to you so that you know these pastors gather to pray for and to encourage one another. There's no sense of rivalry. There's no sense of the contention or competition or like protecting turf. Just grateful brothers who love and serve the same Lord who genuinely want the best for other churches in and around the state and they want more of them. And so we got to go around the table and pray for each other. So you should just know that Chris Newkirk from Witten Avenue in Phoenix prayed for us on Monday. And I had the great opportunity to pray for Andrew Gutierrez from Canyon in Prescott. Now, all these brothers shared reflections about what the Lord is doing and has done, especially at Easter, just in conversions and evangelism and baptism. It was so encouraging to hear what the Lord is doing in and across Arizona. I'm sharing this with you because I don't think you guys get to share in that encouragement often enough. We're not in this alone, guys. We, we mean to communicate that every Sunday when we pray for another church with specificity, not because we think anything bad's happening there, but because we are partnering in a very real sense with other churches. And you should know that these other churches are praying for us as well, just as we regularly pray for them. There are more churches not pictured here 
through other networks of relationships with other local churches that we have. So we have a huge team when we think about it. When we are working together, when we believe that we will be more fruitful as local churches helping each other, trying to fulfill that great commission task instead of trying to do it on our own. Gospel unity propels mission. So it was great to be with those brothers and to to pray about church planting here in Arizona, but it was also great just to be a part of their prayer, to be a part of their encouragement. And that's what Paul seems to be seeking here in this final section of this passage. Local churches support missions through prayer and encouragement, verses 30 to 33. Verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So in this final section here. Paul's praying and asking for prayer for three specific things. First, that he might be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea when he goes to Jerusalem in order to take that financial gift to them. Second, that the gift that he's bringing might be well received by those saints in the church there. And then third, that he might succeed in reaching Rome. He asked that his brothers and sisters in Rome strive together with him, uh, agonize, actually, together with him in prayer on his behalf. Paul is agonizing over this trip. So let's just think about uh, Paul's plans here, just on a human level for a minute. Traveling uh, was much harder then than it is now, so we have to travel back in time a little bit, even just in our imaginations. Travel was much more difficult. There was no Google Maps. There was no Airbnb. There was no email. There was no texting. There were no airplanes. There were wild beasts, snakes, harsh weather on the sea. There were pirates and bandits. His journeys would have required a lot of preparation, a lot of skill, and a lot of tenacity or grit to make them come to pass. And even then, once he makes that trip back to Jerusalem, well, now he's, he knows that there are unbelievers there, uh, which is the way our ESV translated. Unbelievers uh, is translated underneath that as, as disobedient. So those, those Jews who have not yet accepted Christ as the fulfillment of the promises that God made to them, those are the unbelievers, the disobedient to the faith, they potentially could be hostile towards him once he gets there which is not an unreasonable fear if we read the book of Acts. He knows that those unbelievers might be bringing risk to him. They might be hostile. It's not, and on top of that, it's not guaranteed that the church he's bringing this gift to is going to be super stoked about it. Like maybe they don't want to partner with the Gentiles. Maybe this gift that he's risked his neck to bring to them is going to sort of be like, wah, wah. Imagine that. Again, potentially awkward. What if they're too proud to receive the gift that he's risking his life to bring them? And then even then, once he finishes that portion, he's still going to have to travel to Spain, which again is a huge risk. One commentator helpfully points out that the trips that Paul is planning to go on would total about 3,000 miles. 800 miles to Jerusalem 
and then 1,500 to Rome, and then from Rome to Spain, another 700 miles. Uh, Paul would have been around 60 years old at this time. And then even if he gets to Spain, he's going to have to learn Latin so he can minister to, to the saints there effectively. So maybe you can understand the, the agony, <laughs> the concern that, that Paul is engaged in in his prayer, wrestling with these fears, bringing them to God, asking for prayer on the behalf of other saints. Notice in verse 24 that he intends to enjoy the company of the Roman Christians for a while. He intends to enjoy the company. And then again in verse 32, similar, similar idea here, he looks forward to coming to them with joy and being refreshed in their company. It would have been a very lonely task to be a pioneer missionary, traveling on your own, and he looked forward to the encouragement that he would be able to gain from these other brothers and sisters, his spiritual family there in Rome. And so he requested, we'll just track through those three things again, he requested partnership in prayer that the believers would receive the gift, uh, and Luke records an allusion to this gift arriving in the book of Acts, so we don't know exactly for sure that it was well-received, but it probably was well-received. Paul also prayed, second, for protection from unbelievers in Jerusalem. Uh, if we're just trying to suss out how that prayer was answered, it's a little more complicated. He was protected from them, in a sense, but his protection came in the form of being arrested and sent to prison. So he did avoid being killed three separate times, uh, hanged, left for dead, stoned, all these things. Being sent to prison probably was not the protection that he originally had in mind when he was praying to be protected from the disbelievers there. Third, he also prayed that he would make it to Rome. Again, complicated. He makes it to Rome, but he got there about three years later than he anticipated, and he went as a prisoner after nearly dying in a shipwreck. What do we learn about prayer here? Uh, just from this passage. It is a community effort, for sure, asking for others to agonize with him in prayer. But prayer isn't always answered in ways that we expect. The agonizing that Paul was doing in prayer was probably just to understand God's will, to, to come to terms with God's will. We don't know for sure if Paul ever actually finally made it to Spain. We don't have any solid proof that he actually made it there. So maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you can relate to this idea of praying for a certain situation and having it responded to in a way that you uh, didn't expect. Maybe your prayer was answered in a way that you did not plan. Sometimes we must acknowledge prayers are answered in ways that we do not expect. For years, there had been a large church in Virginia who had been praying for a lead pastor who had come in and, and step into the situation to bring some health and some unity of vision. And in God's providence, Trinity Bible Church was in a place where we could send Pastor Josh in order to shore up the ministry there in Virginia and still leave Trinity in a great place. 2023 did not start the way I expected it to at the beginning of 2022. But those saints in Virginia needed material support 
in terms of personnel, and we were able to send the best we've got. And I'm here for it. Glory to God alone, we are a healthy enough church to be able to send out our best and brightest and still carry on strong. I would love for us to continue to be that sort of place, a church that is known for its ability to resource and to help other churches. May the Lord see fit to make that true of Trinity. There is agony, there is striving involved in prayers in terms of trying to come to to terms with God's hidden will, but submission to God's goodness and submission to his providence is, in the final analysis, the path to true and lasting joy. We believe that Paul wrote the book of Philippians from jail in Rome. We just finished walking through this book together on Wednesday nights. This is Paul's counsel. After he's undergone all these trials, he's gone through all these confusing responses to prayer, this is his counsel from the jail in Rome, Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul knew that he had a role to play, and he wanted to be faithful to fulfill it, And in the same way, you each have been given roles and you have been given responsibilities by God. Trinity Bible Church has been given responsibilities by God. And we all individually and together are part of that same mission that Paul was engaged in. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are commissioned by Christ. So as we sort of wind down here, let's just take a minute to think about the sweeping nature of the story that Paul was in and that you and I are still in this morning. Tune in with me for a minute. God created humanity to subdue the earth and to multiply. That is the task that the Creator gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Keep and work the garden, and then create more image bearers who will be able to keep up that good work. They would act as God's images in the world, worshiping God, and representing his good rule on earth. And so as they were faithful to the tasks they had been given, the garden would expand and is worked and kept, and then the human race likewise would expand. And the knowledge of God's glory then would extend to the ends of the earth. But we know the serpent deceived Eve and Adam. And so after their fall, Adam and Eve lacked the glory of God that they had before their rebellion. So at this point in history, conflict enters the chat. Those tasks that they were given to subdue the earth and to multiply became much more challenging. The work in the garden became exceedingly difficult. Multiplying through childbearing would become exceedingly painful. Eve would seek to control her husband. Adam would be domineering towards her. And one of their first two children killed the other out of jealousy and rage. And so this goal, this task to extend the knowledge of God's glory to the ends of the earth through humanity was off to a disappointing start. But with that curse that came in Genesis 3, there was a promise in verse 15 of Genesis 3 that a seed of Eve would crush the head of that deceiver once and for all, ending that conflict. 
fast forward many generations. Humanity gets together and they build this giant tower in order to reach the heavens so that they can be like God called the Tower of Babel. Again, like Adam and Eve, trying to be like God. And so God looks down, sees them, and scatters them, and they become eventually different ethnic groups scattered around different areas of the world. Out of those nations, God chose a man named Abram and told him that all of the earth would be blessed in him. And from Abram, Abraham, comes the nation of Israel. And now Israel is given the task that Adam and Eve had to make God's ways known on the earth for the benefit of the nations that are surrounding and watching. And so God blessed Israel. He adopted them as his people. He let his glory settle in and around them. He gave them the covenants. He gave them the law. He gave them a way to worship him rightly. And he made them promises. But because Israel is filled with children of Adam and Eve, like the rest of us, Israel failed to fulfill the task of extending the knowledge of God's glory to the ends of the earth. But from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. And so Jesus was born from that nation of Israel, and all of the promises that God made to them would find their yes and amen in and through him. Jesus comes on the scene as the true and better Adam. He is the better Israel who would perfectly image God and extend the knowledge of God's glory to the ends of the earth. Jesus completed the task that Adam failed, the task that you and I failed under our own power. So Jesus creates his church as he leaves to keep up the good work. And he tells his church now, to subdue the earth and to multiply. Or in other words, to take the gospel into the nations and make disciples. And then at Pentecost, he breathes the spirit out upon his church with the Father and empowers them for the task to which he has called them. One day, as we read about in the Apostles' Creed, he will return fully to restore all things and the knowledge of God's glory will cover the whole earth as the water right now covers the sea. So the end of the story is set. We know how it's going to end. In the meantime, between Christ's ascension and his return, he has tasked his church to partner together to subdue the earth and to multiply, to plant churches and to make disciples, to make his glory known to the ends of the earth. Satan has tried to stop this task from the beginning, to hinder the spread of God's glory through deception, through conflict. But after Christ's resurrection... After his ascension, we understand that Satan is a defeated enemy, and the nations are hearing, they are believing the gospel, they are turning from their sin, they are turning towards the Savior, and Trinity Bible Church is an evidence of that, that we are the nations now who have seen and heard and loved and savored the glory of God, and the unity that we experience in this local church upends the the disunity and the deception that Satan is trying to create. The unity that we experience within this local church, the unity that we experience between local churches is the means by which God will accomplish those tasks. That's why Paul can write as he ends this section of Romans, as he begins to wrap up this letter to the church in Rome, he says, may the God of peace be with you all. And then notice a little bit later in Romans 16 verse 20 what he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Local churches should partner for missions through material support, prayer, and encouragement for the defeat of that deceiver, for the good of the nations, and for the glory of God. Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.